0: Welcome fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. I was really glad to finally get David Benjamin Blower into the tent today. David is a musician. He's a post-apocalyptic singer-songwriter. He's a podcast host for the Nomad Podcast. He's an author His book, Sympathy for Jonah, was one of the best books. No, it was the best book that I read the year that it came out. David and I were able to discuss what it is to be a political theologian and a follower of Jesus and an artist in this crazy age of ours. And we also mentioned his article in the Yoho Journal. The Yoho is a new venture filled with articles and interesting ideas from fellow travelers many of whom have appeared on this podcast or will appear in the future. I think anybody who listens to Tent Theology would be interested in this journal. An essay of mine, called Black Magic and White Houses, will be appearing in the future, and David's essay, Higher Anarchy, is already out. You can get your hands on the Yoho journal by going to Unfold Media. And if you use the coupon TENT10, you will get yourselves 10% off. That's not an official plug. They haven't paid for advertising, but they have kindly made that available to listeners of Tent Theology. I do recommend that you take them up on their offer. As always, I'll put all the information in the show notes to this podcast. Right, I hope you enjoy this conversation with David Benjamin Blower.
1: Whose face is marked with heart and grief
0: Other spaces that i'm thinking about which end up being relational actually i mean the other spaces end up being just connections Mm. so you meet a fellow traveler and they say come to my into my space you're like okay let's let's make this work so i'm i'm eking out i'm cobbling together my portfolio (laughs) much like you (laughs) Mm, mm. because we're doing weird stuff like there isn't really a, a name for what we do right
2: no, yes, we, it is, um, there isn't a paradigm for it. We're making the paradigm as we go. But it is something that people are doing now. It's like commonly done, even though there's no map for it. Oh, well, when I say commonly, there's not loads of people doing it, but it is a thing. It's, it's, it, There are other people doing it, aren't there? And there's people doing it in the other direction, actually. There's people who are not theologians, and they're in these other spaces who are beginning to... Bring in theological language and concepts and and so on into what they're doing. So you know, I think well, that's everyone... partly
0: one of the the book I'm working. on. I'm trying to write a book which is going to be much more for the general market rather than for the. I don't want it to be just for the Christian market. I'm trying to burn the churchianity out of a lot of it, but it is about the theological developments of some ideas that dominate our spaces today, like sovereignty or domination. I just use the word dominate. Um, some of these language of power that we use, how they are originally very theological. And mm. so I'm trying to slightly justify my existence as a political theologian by talking about power. And dude, I should send you um a short thing I did. It was at a Bonhoeffer conference.
2: I was comparing um one of Bonhoeffer's letters, where he's talking about we need a we need a religion as Christianity with um walter benjamin's have you ever come across walter benjamin's yeah. thesis uh, on um the philosophy of history
0: um remind me i i actually wrote about him in my doctorate but i forget oh, did what, you i forget now but, what
2: I said? okay well so he's, he's on the run from the nazis so it's the end of his life and he's and there's a parallel there because he's running from the nazis and um bonhoeffer's imprisoned by the nazis and um, he writes these theses that, that are very—they're just sort of dripping with messianism. It's probably you know the the, the the most distilled essence of whatever messianic thought was there. The first picture he paints is of historical materialism, Marxist historical materialism, history playing out, and it's like a chessboard, and there's this robot playing playing the chessboard, and you can't beat the the robot because in Marxist thought it doesn't matter like history is only going to end you know in equilibrium because that's the way it goes but he says underneath the chessboard there's a hunchback theologian that's actually secretly running the show and marxism doesn't want to admit it but actually it's completely underpinned by theology in fact everything is theology is what's doing everything
0: yeah oh i need to read that well yeah
2: it's it's interesting but uh, comparing that with bonhoeffer you've got this weird juxtaposition because Bonhoeffer says the world can't be religious anymore, which is just stop making everybody religious. It's embarrassing. And then Benjamin saying, Oh, we should just stop pretending everything's secular. It's bullshit. Everything's just oozing with theology. Let's be honest about it. I and do the, the need meeting to read of that. those two things are just
0: yeah. a, a fascinating intersection. And I know that Benjamin, I mean, it was, uh, he even might be thinking about Kierkegaard when he talks about the hunchback theologian, actually. Oh, right. Yeah, because maybe he, so. He was activated by a lot of Kierkegaard. Ah, I've never, drawn, I've never sort of um, drawn yeah. the lines. Which is where he comes in with, for me. But uh, also, uh, I mean, there's also something going on. Do you know Carl Schmitt? Have you ever had to read any Schmitt? A Nazi political theorist. I've read everybody writing about Schmitt. Yeah, I've never... I've never... because he's the... Weirdly, he's the guy that coined the term political theology, or at least he made it his own. Hmm. And it wasn't because he was writing as a Christian, it's because he recognized the theological dimension of all these principalities that whose power we're trying to harness. And uh yeah, and for him sovereignty was the big idea. So his his language of sovereignty was one that he used to justify Hitler. The sovereign is the one who decides the exception, which of course was a theological idea which he bolted onto Hitler but that's all in the mix right all these people dealing with
2: it's all in the mix and it leads to Taubes as well or Torbes I don't know how to say his name uh, Jacob Taubes okay um, I don't know his work at all so he's a Jewish philosopher sociologist um, and he sort of surprised everybody at the end of his life by writing a political theology of Paul well actually he gave lectures on it and it was transcribed where he is a I mean he's not a Christian he's not a theologian really he's a jewish i think he was a, a, a rabbi but i'm not sure i can't remember he he gives these lectures from his jewish perspective on a on a political theology of paul and in, involved in that is um are he talks about his correspondences with schmidt which obviously is a big kind of painful reconciliation story as someone who sort of lived through the time of the holocaust and and so yeah. on Everything is changed All doth run its
1: course The present fears nothing more Than a Trojan horse Ye who stake your existence On borders and walls The emerging future is among you Yes, within us all Everything is changed Be still and listen can you hear the air quietly hissing out somewhere, blowing in your head? Stare at nothing for a moment. Don't even think the world inflated around you is all going limp. Everything is as it ever was, only more so. Behold all of thy gods, same as these years ago. And the screen is a and wall between us all and the show. Yesterday's entertainment Is tomorrow's government So
0: I mean, you, you, had to re- you have to record A number of intros How do you do the intros for Nomad? Do you do it in the spot in front of the person Or do you add them in? You add them in kind of at the beginning, don't you? Oh
2: yeah, but sort of those, those will happen like uh, After the actual uh, interview thing
0: so if you were um, to and... if if you were to introduce a David Benjamin Blower to the podcast, how would what would you say? Oh my gosh! How would I in, if, if I was not David? Yeah. If you, how would you introduce yourself? I suppose we'd have some banter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh gosh! I, I I've, um, I, I, no, I can't. I can't do it. I can't introduce myself. That's um, a writer, that's... a traveling troubadour.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> All in, these.
2: Um... A musician, a writer, a poet, a, yeah. a
0: theological thinker. Do you ever use very pretentious names for yourself like a disruptor and how
2: <laughs> Oh um yeah, I did once um years ago and right. it ended up on a website and I sort of felt very embarrassed and ashamed about it afterwards. And I yeah. I think I sent them an alternative <laughs> alternative <laughs> one. It was
0: agitator or something Agita- like that. Yeah, exactly. So people come up oh. with these, yeah with these labels to try and uh, make it clear what they're doing, which of course doesn't actually do anything of the sort. It makes it even more complicated. You're a writer. You're a writer of yes, one yes. of the best books that I've read, uh, Sympathy for Jonah, which is fantastic. And I, I know it must be annoying for you. I had the similar with Richard Beck where I'm interviewing him, but I'm all I'm doing is talking about a thing that he wrote <laughs> 10, 15 years ago. But I have to say, I really love the, the Jonah book that you wrote. And, um, <laughs> I want to find out if you're writing, did, weren't you going to write something on Paul? Speaking of Paul, aren't you still working on that? Oh
2: yeah. I mean, I've had a book on Paul um, brewing in me for yeah a long time. I yeah. sort of, um, and I keep getting um, deflected from the task of writing it, but you know, the whole, the whole book plan is, uh, has, ah. has been sat there waiting to happen. Um, I think it's, you know, that kind of thought is finding its way into other things I'm doing and writing. But you're a musician.
0: You're a performer. Yes, I'm a musician. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been writing. Like I would call you in the folk tradition, the singer songwriter, the Mm. protest against not just against specific injustices, but in some way you're shaking your fist against the age. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Collapse of the current age. Apocalyptic folk. Apocalyptic folk. What I tend to call it, yeah yeah uh you're a performer you're you're gigging, you're about to start gigging again, you do you do small gigs, you do like front yeah, room d- gigs as well as play I do mostly uh, weddings gigs,
2: bar mitzvahs weddings, bar mitzvahs, I've done weddings, I'd like to do a bar mitzvah, um, and you know I play um other kinds of spaces, but mostly it's lounges, lounges is the most beautiful place to yeah. Uh, to play because you, you get to know people sleep on their sofa drink their whiskey
0: yeah i remember you came and did one at a conference i was at and you it was like a big country house that was hosting the conference and you came and got us all to sit around in the comfy chairs downton abbey style
2: oh my gosh that was i've i've never played a lounge like that it was before a, or since
0: that was lovely but you yeah. you really blasted us with some wonderful apocalyptic folk. It was fantastic. I think that would have been We Were Really Here and We Really Did This, that you were playing yeah. that album at the time. So We really
2: existed. We really existed, oh, we really we did
0: existed this. and we really did this, yeah. Yes, it was that one. It was that one. Man, that was good. And then since then, lockdown has happened. And so you've been um, pushed onto the mic and the recordings more than you had been before, I think.
2: Yeah, that's right. So I've recorded... Um... I recorded two EPs of, um, of musical reflections on, on the pandemic experience. A third is kind of wanted, but I don't think I'll get to it, really. Various ideas around, you know, around that, uh, that varied and shared journey we've been on. And then I've just put out um, an album of kind of folk hymns um, that I guess relate to um, Nomad podcast, which uh, I'm involved in. Yeah.
0: And I I mean, do we call you a co host of Nomad? You're a. That's probably.
2: I guess so, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's
0: certainly how you and I met, I think, was through Nomad or through some. I think you had invited to a conference because of Nomad. And then.
2: Well, no, I've got a really vivid memory of how we met. Oh, yeah. We were um, a thing in Jersey. That's right. And um, someone raised the uh, political question, uh, quite a political question about. the war on drugs, as a as a sort of approach to okay how powers sort of um, address questions of uh, of that kind of thing, and there were various different people coming in to offer approaches to how we might explore the question and what we think. You came in. This was the first my first encounter with you, and uh, you said, "Well, if you want to join my group, we're just going to lay our heads on Jesus's chest and see what happens."
0: <laughs> so i joined your group political theology through mystical listening prayer yes yeah it was it was beautiful
2: and i did actually I, I was aware of you before that i'd listened to you talking about kierkegaard on on the internet oh
0: that's right that's right that's something you and i share we 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 quite like arabs our, are our, um complicated obscure political thinkers which we try and uh wrestle and monkey wrench back into real everyday life don't we <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What I want to talk with you about is something that I'm afraid probably hasn't made you any money and, and might not make you any money. But again, that higher anarchy, the essay that you wrote for this new journal that's come out. Right. The Yoho yes. Journal. Tell us the story behind where did this come from? I'm gonna put links to it in the in the in the show notes. Cause I do want everybody to get a hold of this. But I would love to talk with you about power and politics right now and that's, your idea of higher an, uh, higher you, you certainly didn't coin a term that's easy to say higher anarchy well i didn't
2: coin that term actually that was um this essay began because a friend sort of threw out a question to a to a group of friends uh he's he's a vicar actually or a priest um and he was expecting to have two people to come and work with him in his parish and he was Putting out feelers for kind of resources and thoughts on how to approach having people working with him in a non hierarchical way. He didn't want to fall into sort of being the boss with minions. So, another person in the group who can't resist this kind of thing said, Oh, let's have a big Zoom discussion about it, a big symposium on Zoom. And he entitled these series of discussions Higher Anarchy. Um, So, I guess, you know, he was being playful. Yeah. And the thing I wrote was you know more or less just notes that were scribbled down as reflections on you know being um, involved in those symposiums right
0: well um, this is what makes me mad David because the notes you scribble down while on a zoom call I'm reading the Going, oh shit I might as well give up being a writer <laughs> he's he's saying everything I want to say he's saying it not not even everything I want to say he's saying stuff I never thought of before and he's saying it really well and I'm like Oh, great. This little essay is going to be like a friend for life. I'm going to be ripping this off now for the rest of my career. It's really good stuff. Higher Anarchy, the Sacred Absence of Rule is what you subtitled it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, um, I mean, the, the playful name of the thing sort of actually began to feel like a sturdy concept to me. The uh, Higher Anarchy, I sort of translated that as the sacred absence of rule.
0: So what is hierarchy? Before we get into higher anarchy, what is hierarchy? Is that you make a distinction bef- between hierarchy? You don't say that it's power. I mean, I, I
2: wanted to make a distinction between power and rule. Right. So hi- higher. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in, um, in you know, Greek translation, but I, I understand that word uh, as. Oh, no, sorry. Archos. Archos. Mm-hmm. Uh, the archy bit as, as being referring to rule. Um, and rule is a different thing to power i reflected on um a conversation i had with a a, f- a friend in america who's part of the pie tribe he lives in arizona um i i was asking him about the uh spirit you know the creation myths or what have you of, of his tribe and he actually began it was a surprising beginning he says in their thing before there's a, a god there was power which is different to uh, to my um uh, creation myth, but their understanding of power is fascinating because power is everywhere, power is everything, um and then when God creates uh, you know when creation is is made, um creation is just oozing with power, everything's got power, and power is passing between and about everything and is made of it and so on. I mean, power is a loaded term when, when these days power we're always we're needing to interrogate power. Where it is, where it lies, where, it, where are their vacuums? Who's holding it? What are they doing with it? Uh, but there's a, an important distinction between power and rule. Power just is, you know, the creation is humming, resonating, um, praying, destroying itself, um, praising with powers, like powers everywhere and everything. Rule is the question of holding power and what you do with it. Rule becomes a question of our choices around power um, and those sorts of things. So, for hierarchy, I think it's important to, to notice that we're talking about rule. We're talking about who holds the right of rule and what they do with it and how that rule gets passed around.
0: I mean, partly our inability to imagine, we, are, so we, have, we find it very hard to imagine power as not being hierarchy. Like that shows a a kind of a a dominance of that one particular form of hierarchy is just a container for for storing power or for channeling it, I suppose. But we, we have so identified it with power itself that it becomes almost impossible to imagine organizations that aren't hierarchical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was I mean, that was one of the immediate observations
2: in these discussions. It was quite surprising how difficult it was how almost resigned to the idea of hierarchy many, many people were and are. It was, it was very difficult to unwed the idea of power from hierarchy. How can you have power without hierarchy? Well, you don't have to have power. Power just is, whether you have it or not. Hierarchy's um, the, the process of of expanding our vision of how you could
0: do things differently. That's quite long. What is i mean this is a dumb i mean this is one of those dumb questions which is also the question of a of a lifetime like what when you talk about power what are you thinking it is do you have a a, a line or a definition no i don't really i mean i think i mean i
2: almost want to be scientific and talk about it. there's biological power there's um and then there's the power of physics you know the universe is is humming with um power that's um all you know, getting passed around. I mean, it's it's an isness of creation for me, something that's going on. I use those um, Greek terms that the philosopher Agamben uses um, as a matter of distinction a lot: Zoe and bios. These are two Greek words, actually, for life, not power. But for me, they're perhaps overlapping concepts. Uh, but Zoe is sort of the bare life of uh, of creatures you know a plant has zoe uh, a horse has zoe the human being as a as a as a creature has zoe bios is a word describing the political life or the social uh, you know constructs of human beings or economic life that that's the uh, the social narratives of power that we in which we embed ourselves um um that kind of thing. So they're both forms of life, um, but they're you know, addressing different questions of it. And I think maybe power for me, I'm I'm sort of addressing it within those within
0: those sorts of parameters. Is BIOS then the way we would talk about the life of a principality? Like the life of an organization that has roots deeper than one lifetime and bigger than one person? Um yes perhaps so although uh, perhaps it doesn't have to have roots
2: bigger than one person but it's it's to do with human constructions and narratives of power so any kind of organization or political structure or um, religious narratives or economic you know the economic fictions that we all uh live under these abstractions of numbers and and so on like a, a border i suppose is a is um
0: an object of bias. So we've sort of stamped a, a hierarchical imagination on top of all these things. I mean we everything you've just described religion economics politics family we we just immediately go to we seem to just go to the hierarchy top down overlings and underlings. We seem to go to that all the time, right?
2: Well that's yeah yeah that's my experience as a western as a western person as a western man. It's very difficult for me to imagine
0: Non-hierarchical forms of bios,
2: Um,
0: but what about flat structures then? How about all the trendy management consultants uh, buzzwords of 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 a flat structure organization? Yeah, I'm I'm sort
2: of wary of the concept of flat structures. I'm not entirely close to that as a step towards something different, as a as an you know a first attempt to say, well, we don't want hierarchies, we don't want these things that tower upwards. Let's have flat structures that sort of web outwards. My feeling about hierarchies is that they sound like the Tower of Babel. My feeling about flat structures is that they sound like factory farming. The difficulty for me is that they're both managed. They're both heavily managed and structured life in the realm of Zoe, in the realm of ecology, of which we are a sort of self-alienated part. In the realm of, you know, Zoe life and power exist in unmanaged complexity and you know over the enlightenment i think we we sort of thought of that as chaos and danger that we had to subdue and tame but i think we're sort of coming to the point where we're realizing oh it's not chaos that unmanaged complexity it has a it has a wisdom you know the wisdom of god is in creation it has balance it it, it has rhythms and ways that um that are in wise relation to itself not to say nature is always perfect it's you know it's strange and often terrifying and sometimes a bit out of of tune or what have you it's it's capable of um destruction obviously but it is an unmanaged complexity that has a wisdom about it i mean i guess i would go back to the concepts of sophia in the in the book of proverbs God's wisdom in creation my vision of um of alternative ways of dancing with power would be that they would be it would be about dancing with power it would be living um, in healthy relation with the whole in in this kind of dance rather than trying to create controlling structures a flat structure might be better than a hierarchical one but ultimately I think the western enlightenment imagination is crumbling because it's having to it's realizing it it can't create structures that that are wiser and better than the unmanaged complexity of creation
0: itself what happens to us what happens to the human psyche or to the human culture when we manage what what is it about management that leads to this crumbling Mm, good question I mean to to look at hierarchies it
2: seems that our propensity to hubris um, takes over and gradually when we manage things um, those who can accumulate more and they use the power to manage in order to bound that more that they've gathered there's that yeah addiction to harpagmon to use another Greek word uh, that grasping and gathering hierarchies uh uh, management of that kind seem to be ways of bounding in what you've gathered and holding on to it um in terms of resources in terms of power in terms of place in terms of purpose um so that tends to happen but even if that doesn't happen the more rigidly we manage things um the more closed we become to the flux of of zoe of creation and I suppose there's something for me in faith in God's um, wisdom in creation perhaps if we're open and in an open relationship and dialogue with it we're introduced to new things that are quite confusticating because we have to
0: maybe change our posture a bit and new things that wouldn't have emerged if we had micromanaged them or if we had poked our finger into them yeah right?
2: If we'd managed it, you know, if we're managing things, we tend to just battle those things off and become embattled, um, don't we? I mean, ultimately, I think what we lose is good relationship. Um, I think the the thrust of what I was reaching for in that essay was that law is it fills in the gap of withered relationship, and the more law you have, the more your relationship withers because the law manages boundaries for you you're no longer in a dance with things um, all those questions are managed by laws and
0: boundaries and law is what you need when you can't trust people anymore you can't trust the people around you so you need rule of law exactly yeah yeah
2: and there's the, the kind of Hobbes idea we yeah we want the the sovereign who imposes law because that sort of iron fist is what keeps us safe from all destroying each other because we're all dreadful and really we just want to
0: which is another example that that, which i've been thinking about it in terms of simplicity i mean you mentioned complexity so i've been thinking in terms of a lot of the evils of our current age have to do with people seeking simple answers to complex reality right Mm -hmm. and so you take your sledgehammer simplicity and you just bash whatever the human is in front of you or the human organization or the human problem like abortion or illegal immigration or resource distribution and you simplify it to one and only one answer and then you you end up breaking reality because reality isn't simple (laughs) it's not simple but that's a form of control it's like we give our power we, we give our allegiance to somebody who offers us the simple solution to a complex problem but because they are trying to manage complexity they then break it And so we have that's that's to me, that's partly what's going on there. That kind of um, worship of the Hobbesian bully who's going to solve all our problems actually is very much like the bull in the china shop kind of idea. Right. I guess in a
2: way, all problems become binary
0: um, from that
2: place of um, of management and law in that something outside is knocking at the door. Do we want it or do we not? You know. um, Can we have it or can we not? does it help us or does it not you know it's it's a, a boundary or a border is a binary thing isn't it
0: <laughs> there's an inside and an outside and things either want to be in or they want to be out And do we want it in or do we want it out i mean you, you only accept the things that already fit with your simple ideology or your simple solutions that you've already decided ahead of time <laughs> thereby missing anything new and surprising that might actually come in to your life i suppose that's right you
2: become close to new information and in a way there's a broken relationship with god in that for me in that any time that we're close to all new information we're excluding um most of god (laughs) i guess i mean you know unless
0: we really think that we know more (laughs) you know more about gods than we don't know well um, this is where idolatry comes in that that language gets a hoary old language of idolatry which you can kind of roll your eyes at but what is idolatry except calling something god that is not god so what is idolatry except when you say i can manage the world i have the solutions uh these structures are how we're going to do it you have now set yourself up in that tower of babel like way of to be gods right so is an idolatry in the in the uh, the simplicity the kind of claims to being simple and controlling reality and solving problems is itself a a claim to be God.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm fascinated by the um, um the narrative of the golden calf in um in the book of Exodus. Um, it, it's u- unique as far as I can tell in that it's um, it's the one kind of constructed idol where they say, oh, this is yahweh who brought us out of egypt so that this this thing doesn't have an you know isn't associated with some other deity it's associated with yahweh who brought us out of egypt right but of course it's you know (laughs) it's not it's everybody's um everybody's leftover metal but i mean therein, it why is it idolatry it's because they've they and we we've ossified we've put a boundary on something yeah we've we've um we don't like that god could move change uh, or, or you know or seem to change or to you know introduce new things or we don't know what god's going to do next we want god to be in a form where god stays where god we were at, where we left god you know um so so there it is it's it's there it's not moving um we can dance around it we can uh, and we can have control of it it's it's the control of god we don't want
0: a god that's bigger than us and can bring new things I was, I was thinking about it probably probably because of reading your stuff, actually, but a thought was coming to my mind of I'm putting you and Kierkegaard together into one place. They, they're helping me think this way, that like you said, your language is I think the thought beto- underneath the thought. There's a thought underneath the thought, which is humans aspire to God to be like little gods. Maybe that's something humans always do. And the problem isn't so much that humans are aspiring to be godlike. It's that the God that they are aspiring to be is the false God. So it isn't aspiring to be like God. That's the problem because we are the image of God, et cetera, et cetera. It's that you are aspiring to be an objective, micromanaging, all-powerful, controlling being when you should be aspiring to be a wild, a free, a servant of all, long-suffering, always merciful making it rain on the just and the unjust alike right like we're aspiring to be an image of god that it that doesn't that is actually an idol yeah yeah but we're still aspiring to be godlike even you when you're going to talk i want to i want to get to 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 higher anarchy in a second but like i don't think actually aspiring to be godlike is the problem i think it's what kind of god we're aspiring to be like yeah
2: i mean oh god he he was i can't remember this sort of a Famous old um, devotional thinker. Mm-hmm. What did you write? The, the, the pursuit of holiness. I can't remember. But he, but he says um we, we end up becoming like what we worship. I mean, I think many many people have seen this, and you always will. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. We, we we are you know we will reflect the image that we gaze upon. And if if um,
0: and this is the thing, if you aspired to be like the God who is revealed in the Sermon on the Mount rather than the God who looks like Zeus, <laughs> then you will come up with something like the awkward portmanteau, higher anarchy, <laughs>
2: perhaps. Well, that's it. I mean, the strange irony there is that we, I think we do it because we feel safer with Zeus. And I mean, there's the thing, we feel safer with the the, the gods who, you know, throws a lightning bolt down on, you know, what's out and looks after what's in we feel safer with that i guess because it means that uh, we then have freedom and agency to be to live defensively and we we want that we we want to be able to defend ourselves in a in a world where there are possibilities beyond our individual power yeah we project our worst impulses
0: into the divine yeah yeah
2: and yeah. Uh, the, the god that terrifies us is the one that um that welcomes enemies right because i don't that.
0: want to have to welcome enemies yeah the, yeah the god that we really don't like is the god that says hey when you find a wheat field that has weeds and wheat in it together don't try and micromanage it don't try and solve the problem just let it grow right yeah we yeah. don't like that god because we really want to take those weeds out no we want to get it sorted i'm doing the hand gesture
2: that people do you know the karate the, 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 the caro- like cutting down on the open
0: palm <laughs> or uh sorting cocaine on a mirror uh, yes <laughs> yeah that you <laughs> really want to get the pure stuff we, we we just love we're addicted to being pure and purity and weeding out the problems there you yes, go yeah. drug analogy with david benjamin blower blower there we go we got there everyone <laughs> well done everyone <laughs> but tell me about the opposite then if we're not going to be hierarchical what ca- how can we start to reimagine the isness of power um there
2: are various kind of images I go to um to explore this. I mean like many people these days I'm I sort of have adopted that Lakota prayer all all our relations just those three words which resonate for me with those just the, the New Testament language of Panta all things, all things, all things. You know, those are words that just bounced off of me as a as a young Christian sort of embedded in a very platonic immaterial kind of um, faith loving relation to all things is um is the 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 roots of it to sort of put it in the context of new testament theological thought i mean paul's always talking about law you know christian anti-semitism emerged very quickly in the christian story um partly because they're as E.P. Sanders says, there's this inevitability that the um, the new religion has to commit its act of parasite on the uh, on its forebear. You have to show why well, you're you're the new religion now, and the old one's not very good. So perhaps there's something of that. But the language of law for me, growing up, was basically the language of Judaism. Why you don't want Judaism? Why Judaism's bad? It's all it's all law. Christianity's not law, but um, you're probably not a real Christian if you don't do this or if you do do that or da 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 da, da. Um, My reading of New Testament texts and my reading of um, Jewish writers, like particularly Gershom Sholem, uh, lead me to the thought that the, the New Testament language against law is about law in general. So when Paul writes to the Galatians, you know, people of Gentile background, of Greek and Roman background, Um, they too were sort of enslaved to law before this messianic um, event. And there's something about the messianic event that redeems people from the boundedness and the ossifying, managing, controlling, relationship withering impacts of law. Paul talks about law as, you know, it's not that it's bad in itself, it's an attempt to hold together a world that is hurting, to stop it from you know slipping into disaster but when when the messianic emerges when the redemptive um, power of god um, interacts with creation Sholem will say people who were very focused on um, messianism within judaism in the in medieval times were quite anarchic because they saw that when the messiah comes you don't need law to hold the world together Things will be attuned and in right relationship you know you won't need laws to manage your relationship with one another and with all things Um, the messianic um, intervention of god or or presence of god um, makes law superfluous and so you know in that movement the messianic messianic, um, people were sort of always in uh, a bit of a contention with with those who were um, much more rooted in the halakha in the in the law there was this dialectic going on in that community i think the same sort of things going on in the new testament living in the um in the way and in the resonance of the messiah law falls away you could you can fall into uh, the spirit's work in
0: redeeming good relationship no but here we're thinking of law as the substitute for relationship like like back to when you said that legal structures thrive where relationships have died right right yes exactly exactly so the uh, law here is is it's not about judaism it's about the human propensity to create legal structures instead of actually doing the work of loving your neighbor yeah yeah as much to do with
2: rome or with um um, whatever laws were associated with their previous um worldviews and and so on um so yeah yeah that's that's the the messianic move out of law, out of management and into uh, into relationship. I mean, the, the again, that New Testament language of redemption, the reconciliation of all things we need to reconcile to one another, to creation. We're aware of that now. That's um, an existential puzzle we're needing. We're needing to. Um, to solve and that's the language of redemption of all things made new of um of god um being all in all um all that kind of
0: um language there was a thing i mean we you're going to say it better than me i might tee you up and i hope you can remember what you said about like the language of hierarchy and flat structures they both ask something like what what do we need to do to have what is it what relationships do we need to have in order to do the work and you want to flip that question what how do you want us to think instead well yeah so i mean the question of hierarchies perhaps it was the context
2: of this series of uh of discussions i was involved in perhaps it's just what happens when we talk about hierarchy yeah but the the, the site that everyone's mind went to would be the organization yeah or, the, um, or perhaps the business yeah maybe, if we are thinking big the nation state so they're very sort of you know they're bodies of people with a with a purpose in the world Uh it's there to do something um so the question of hierarchies and flat structures tended to fall into um, the question of what kind of um relational arrangements should we have amongst ourselves in order to get our task
0: done a task that we've already decided ahead of time needs to right yes Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah this this business um succeeding you know making money selling these pencils or this organization whose task is to or this charity or this church or this book group um, or this nation state the task is already decided the question is what kind of human relations can we will make us most efficient uh you know which for me is just oozing with modernity we just want to be efficient at doing the thing we want to do super left brain kind of masculine thinking so i wanted to flip the question and say not what kind of human relations do we need to get the thing done but what what do we need to do to engender the best possible relationships uh, with each other but also beyond each other with others and with with all with all things Um, and when we do that the task of what we might do might then change. We might find, oh, I don't think we want to make money selling these anymore. Maybe we would be in a better relationship with all things if we were selling these. Um, and maybe we don't want to uh, do it in this way. We want to do it now. You're, what you're doing might change. Uh, and I began to think that part of the function of hierarchies is to actually stave off, to battle off the imperative to change what you're doing um certainly that was always my run in with hierarchies i did i I wasn't sort of generically anarchic and just hated all power but i would always run in with power uh, with hierarchies because i would be questioning
0: what this organization is doing because the person who's allowed to question the organization that's actually the that's that's the power that's being protected or locked away isn't it who gets to question yeah like so that question
2: is you're not you're not allowed to ask that question low down. that's what yeah. i kept on
0: discovering yeah. Um, as yeah i found myself pushed into one corner of an office after another because if you're at the bottom of a of a hierarchy structure and you, you're new into the system you're not allowed to ask why is this system here what are we doing is this the right is this the right system that's right yeah and then and if in... you've worked your way all the way up to the top you weirdly become powerless because you, you can't ask those questions anymore because you've probably been so formed and shaped by the system itself that you even get to that position. You you have now lost all those questions in the first place, right?
2: And there's where the the sort of language of powers and principalities, the sort of Walter Winktart language becomes very profound. Yeah. Because like you say, yeah, the person at the top actually, now the further you go up, the more power you have to ask questions. Mm-hmm. But, the hierarchy seems to select you mm-hmm. um, to come up to the top because you're the person who doesn't ask those questions. Yeah. You're the person who sees it as their task. The yeah, yeah, you're the person who sees it yeah. as their task to yeah. um, to preserve the
0: structure as it is. Because the principality doesn't look at young David Blower still you know wet behind the ears going, that young chap <laughs> wearing the trainee name badge who's asking all these questions, let's promote him. <laughs> to the top of the hierarchy that doesn't happen does it well yeah because the principality looks after itself it pres- it prolongs its own existence through history at yeah. the expense of yours yeah i mean my, my personal experience is there's this um awkward dance because um uh
2: the power wants innovation because it wants to get ahead yeah um and so there's this ah you're an innovative chap yeah we'd like we'd like to listen to your ideas so there's this initial um drawing in
0: and then there's very very soon afterwards there's this throwing back out like no 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 no, well it doesn't want innovation it wants efficiency because Mm. what it what it really wants is you to come up with solutions to make it do its pre-assigned task better
2: yeah yes it it wants only the innovations that make it more efficient in what it already has decided it wants
0: to do yeah and so then that those people get pulled up into the positions but weirdly they become less powerful right as well because even if you do every once in a while meet somebody at the top of one of these pyramids or at the center of one of these flat structures they will tell you i actually can't i'd like to do something but i can't Mm. i have no ability to change the system yeah it reminds me of um
2: it's a quote from is it grapes of wrath or east of eden Uh, steinbeck book It, it turns out that nobody likes what the bank
0: does nobody who works there but the bank does it anyway (laughs) i know i know i i I love that quote yeah every single person involved in the whole system hates it yeah yeah and yet it happens anyway again and again and again yeah that's it and
2: people in business you know have told me the same thing that um you know even in high up positions they've tried to change things because they just loathe what's being done but they can't even even with their power it's it's oh it's almost this grotesque feeling isn't it you know this like powerlessness that you find yourself like an absolute puppet um and yet in a place of apparent power the the notion is that the 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 power that that kind of power ironically lies at the bottom where there's no actual practical power to make those changes and
0: because it's the freedom to move like you have the freedom to just leave yes which is the the... the anarchy side of things where you're like we're not i'm not in this to build something that's going to outlast me forever and ever and ever i'm happy to dismantle it if it mm-hmm. no longer serves it's you know what it should be doing
2: and i think therein lies you know some of the the messianic logic that um it's from you know it's it's at the margins and it's amongst the powerlessness where um truly alternative possibilities are
0: um uh, you know able to take but that reason. is not chaos i mean do you like the language of chaos do you try and redeem it or do you just use the language of complexity instead um oh i haven't really thought too hard about it i suppose chaos because your immediate reaction to anybody is when you talk about anarchy is always oh well the alternative is just chaos and uh and i'm not sure whether that is the alternative because i'm looking at the world we live in right now which is hardly an anarchic world and it's absolute chaos <laughs> by the way it's an absolute destruction of human lives everywhere you look.
2: Yes, yeah. I mean, our managed world, has, yes. um, has led to the sort of almost to the full pitch of its yeah. chaotic
0: capacity. The dark satanic mills.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. ultimately, if it's if it's safety we want, we we have to throw ourselves off the um off the train tracks of um managed life, don't we? And there is this awareness now. Oh, I, just this, the grief of the things going on in South America where indigenous people are being um, forcibly thrown off their land and where they're being, you know, sometimes killed and assassinated when they're standing up to it um, in order to use that land to, you know, create meat farms or whatever. I mean, part of the tragedy of that is that, oh, there are, you know, there are people in the world who live in... In wise relationship with the unmanaged complexity of creation, I'm not saying it's perfect. You know, nothing here is perfect yet, but but
0: it's possible, and it be better beautiful. than work. It might not be perfect, but it's better or worse. <laughs> it is well, possible to
2: be better. It's an image of something that lies completely out of the um, the Western intellectual. Um, yeah. history and imagination yeah. that we desperately desperately need to to learn from we, we desperately need to kind of sit at those feet don't we
0: yeah which will require us to actually unclench ourselves from some of our structures that we built and these institutions that we've identified so tightly with right uh, yes yeah to imagine that no maybe we could survive even if we're not identified tightly with this one particular group or institution yeah yes yeah
2: yeah which involves crossing boundaries and this is i mean it's right. all part of the process of um untethering the boundedness of a hierarchical world by transgressing those boundaries doing that very jesus-like thing yeah of constantly going over the line
0: to talk to those guys and then yeah. those those yeah. people and then to her and to him which doesn't happen by accident and it's not going to naturally happen because the the hierarchy or even just, uh, not just hierarchy. The structures we are part of right now are designed to cosset us and keep us, protect us, for uh, so that we're only talking to people who look like us and sound like us as much as possible, right? Mm, so that's right. To actually have those conversations requires actual work, because you are naturally not gonna. It's not going to happen because your whole world is designed to protect you from those very things.
2: Well, that's it. I think it involves placing our bodies somewhere that they yeah. don't normally yeah. reside. Yeah.
0: Well, from one white guy to another, one white beardy guy who likes reading theology to another. <laughs> maybe I should end this conversation and go and talk to somebody who doesn't look like me and sound like me. And maybe mm. you should too. How about that for a good ending to this conversation? That's a good, a good ending to the conversation. Go I forth, just... David, and find somebody who doesn't look like a white beardy theologian. <laughs> I do. I do just like you though. So I'd, I'd appreciate if we can still talk. Sometime. I know there's got to be room for for affection <laughs> and friendship as well. So. David, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, let's quickly do the thing where you point people to a place that they could go to find out more about you and and your words and your songs. Where should well,
2: they go? Um, you can uh, go to davidbenjaminblower.com, dot
0: com, which will point you to uh,
2: the various the various things that are going on.
0: Very good. And the someplace. the journal that uh, I was talking about that, that prompted me to get on the mic with you anyway is the called Yoho Journals. Which is, uh, I will put some some um, information about how to access that. It's a it's a brilliant little initiative started by some friends of ours to start to open up spaces for outsider thinking in some of these worlds that we're swimming in right now. So
2: I don't know when this podcast will emerge. At the moment, the journal's not actually available to buy. You can okay. only get it by becoming a patron. which um, Yes,
0: that's is like yeah. um
2: uh, probably a high
0: bar if you. I'm glad you
2: clarified that. Visited. I was going to
0: put the Patreon uh, um, information in the thing. You're right. Yeah, it's right now. You can only become a patron of the Yoho journals. Yeah, Mitch, but I encourage like a... everyone to be.
2: <laughs> if that's a high bar, I think it is going to be um, made available to buy. Um,
0: I'm told that that's in the works. So, OK, well, very we'll good. Uh, thank you for happens. filling that in. Well, thank you, David. I hope that this won't be the last conversation that we have. And I hope we can have some collaborations in the future. No doubt.
2: That would be a pleasure. It's lovely speaking to
0: you. Ah, thanks, David. You're well. All right, peace. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
2: To
1: further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about Tenth Theology at www.tenththeology.com. Thank you for joining us, and God bless everyone. Put your hands in the soil. Feel the groan and feel the joy. All sit with the hurt, stare into the dirt, occupy the bandstands, gather lost citizens, climb down your pyramids, relinquish your privilege, welcome strangers to your table as though they were angels. Make space for the spent. feel the lament, Break your vows to the powers, plant trees and grow flowers, share the resources, free all the horses. All seasons, for your hands in the soil, and fill the ground. Feel the joy and be still, and be still. Down by the riverside, who's not afraid to die? Emerged from the waves, broke loose from the powers of the age. Live now, citizens of what's left of the age to come. Behold the Messiah dying for the lands we are crucifying. Break bread and take drink, all feel and think. Shed tears every day for everything we throw away. Mourn for your families, mourn for your enemies. Sing to the stars, console our grieving hearts. all seasons, put your hands in the soil, and feel the growth, not feel the joy, and be still, and be still. Clap your hands to your mouth, let your pride go south, put your hand on your head, make terms with the dead, put your hands on your face, too late to learn from our mistakes, put your hand on your heart, can we stop what we start? Sisters to the leverage, brothers to the edges, youth to the floor. This brief future is yours, all ye of noble bone, join the scum of the earth, gather round the powers. there's the power that can save us. All seasons, put your hands in the soil, and fulfill the ground. Feel the joy and be still, 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 and be still. still.